this is Pastor Wilbur L. Mickens, pastor of the New Hope Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My vision is that we will meet the needs of, of the people of this community. It's the Mountain View community in Anchorage, uh, nationally known as the most diverse community in America when it comes to different cultures and languages. And so we have an opportunity, a unique opportunity, uh, to uh, say to the world, first of all to our community, that we care. And uh, many of the programs that we have in outreach particularly uh, show that we do care about the community and all of their needs as they articulate those needs. During the summer, we have what is called Summer Kingdom Challenge. And basically, that's a big way of saying it's a, a yard sale for Jesus. In other words, we use food. Uh, our deacons are around the corner there uh, doing hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, we come out in the evening when people get off, off of work for them to receive clothes and other items that they may need. And, and we feed them and share a word of the Lord to them. And uh, uh, it's sort of like the way we, that's the style of New Hope. Yeah, that's how we do it. We, we kind of uh, provide and then we share. On Friday, we have what is called uh, the Mobile Food Bank. Uh, we assisted and partnered with the uh, Anchorage Food Bank, Food Bank of Alaska. And uh, we have a truck that comes and brings food. Every Friday, we serve between 150 to 200, 200 people during the summer months. Uh, where it's critical because most of the children are out of school and therefore those that are eligible would not get the uh, summer or free lunch program. If it wasn't for the state missions office, we couldn't do what we did. Uh, we've had to have significant renovation to our church uh, physical uh, plant. Uh, we needed uh, carpet on the floor. We needed to paint the whole facility. We needed new signage. Uh, and in some cases, we needed lighting. Uh, uh, we needed... Uh, our ceilings and everything planted and some of our, our wood, and beautiful wood arches in our church, uh, but they had to be refurbished and all those things uh, to even attract people to come into the church without feeling that they were in a uh, disaster zone. And, uh, you know, we wanted to come in with disasters and not come into a disaster. <laughs> and so uh, without the uh, mission uh, uh, support from the uh, ABC here in Alaska, uh, through Blair, Sherrod, and other uh, auspices, we would not be able to do some of the things that we have been able to do here in our community of Mountain View. So I'm encouraging you to give like you've never given before to a mission and a ministry that has complete impact over the lives of people. Oh, be God.
Ooh, my battery might make it. We'll see. If I didn't walk around so much, this wouldn't be necessary. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Sorry, sorry to make noise. Usually much more professional than this around here. Yeah. Don't believe that for a minute. All right. So we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 12, this morning. Um, we've been doing this series, which I think is going to carry us through to the end of October and then beginning in uh, first of November. Uh, I think, what are we calling it, Jason? Gripes Giving? Yeah. Gripes Giving will begin November 1st. That'll be fun. Uh, some things to complain about before we get to Thanksgiving. I'm sure we can all identify with that. But uh, we've been in this series of encouragement in these very strange times. And, uh, and I hope that this gives you some encouragement this morning. I kind of want to springboard after something that was in the text of, of Jason's passage last week, that I'm fully persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And then he lists all these things, powers and principalities and height or depth. And, and, and basically, you know, the, the writer is trying to cover every base to tell us that nothing in heaven, on an earth, below or above can separate us from the love of Christ and then the very last words there are in Christ Jesus. And it's such an important thing to, to bring to bear as we try to share the encouragement of the good news with people is that if we want to fully enjoy the presence of God in our lives, it is accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. And that if we are living our lives outside of life with Christ, we are not fully enjoying the presence of God in our lives. And it doesn't mean that he's non-existent. It doesn't mean that those who don't believe don't also enjoy the presence of God in their lives. Um, we know that God uh, demonstrates himself through the creation. He demonstrates himself through uh, world uh, relationships, family relationships, um, kinship relationships, love relationships. And so uh, we see that uh, God's presence is there, but we're talking about fully realizing to the extent that we can here in this mortal life, the fullest presence of God that we can experience. And so I want to take us back to that foundational truth for Christians that our faith rests in Christ Jesus. And so we find this actually, you're like, oh, so we're going to be in the Gospels. But no, we're going to get to a Gospel here in a minute. But uh, we're going to start actually back in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah. And he says here, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1, he says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you were angry with me, but your anger turned away. And I want to just stop right there, because this is kind of like, uh, in fact, I'm going to use the passage from the message that I preached at the Alaska Baptist Resource Network Conference a few weeks ago, which Jason mentioned. I'll mention it again. It is on our YouTube page. 
Um, and it's based out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's interesting, right? Isaiah chapter 12, and then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, if you're in a certain segment of the weird Christian Twitter sphere, that would have implications that those number 12s mean something, that these are somehow related to each other. They are related to each other, but not that way. Biblical numerology, let me tell you, that is a weird rabbit hole to go down right there. Uh, but sometimes it's fun, and I can't help myself. <laughs> but, uh, but I delivered a message a few weeks ago uh, at the conference based out of Hebrews chapter 12, and it was kind of a similar issue. The, the, the title of that message is called, Therefore. And that's because the first word in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is the word, therefore. And then he says all this stuff. And that word tells us, therefore, that there's a whole bunch of stuff that came before that that informs what comes after. And so while the passage after that is well known, and we're going we're gonna to pick at it a little bit here without going backwards, to get its full context, you need to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, because that's where the therefore is pointing to. We have something similar here. He says, you will say in that day. And so the question is, what day? What day is Isaiah speaking about? In what day will we say all of these things that come after? And if we go back to Isaiah chapter 11, we see at the beginning of that that Isaiah is prophesying about the time when the Messiah will come to earth. He says, the root of Jesse, the line of David, which we see the lineage of Jesus spelled out in a couple of the different Gospels, and we see his line going back to the house of Jesse and the house of King David. And the, and the prophecy says that out of this, it actually says in some terms, out of the, the stump of what was the family of Jesse, a shoot is going to take off and take root and that root, that line, will be the line from which the Messiah and salvation comes to all of humanity on earth through Jesus Christ. And so at the beginning of this passage when he says, in that day you will say, that's the day that he's talking about. Now, does that mean only on the day that Jesus was born? Like the day that he was in the manger? Well, no, because his work had not been fulfilled yet, right? His sacrifice on the cross had not happened. His teaching about how we should live and be and what it means to be a follower of Christ, what that looks like. Um, he taught us so much about the kingdom of heaven and how the world thinks, but how God thinks in the kingdom of heaven and how those two things are sometimes at odds with each other. And that the, the way that God wants us to live might look strange to the world, like things like the world says you should hate people who are your enemies, but the kingdom of God says you should love those who are your enemies. So none of those things have happened yet if this is contained only in the day that the Messiah was born. So then the second question is, does this only mean in the day in which the season in which Jesus was alive? So the Messiah comes, Jesus is born. We know he lives around 33 years, according to the gospel accounts. So is this referring that we will say these things in that time period? And it's still not enough because Jesus, we know, we believe as Christians, is resurrected after 
he gives himself as sacrifice for our salvation. To go and be seated at the right hand of the Father, and as Jesus himself said, to go and prepare a place for all those who would gather with him in all of eternity, those who follow after Christ. And so the day that is being spoken of here is all of the season, all of the time, all of the days that pass after the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has been completed that will offer an entrance for us into the kingdom of heaven. So what do some of those things look like? Let's look at them again. So Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In that day, all of these things, he says, you will do. Why? Because up until the time of the Messiah, everyone lived under the law. You had to keep the law in order to be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. It was an impossible task then, and it's an impossible task now. And that's why there was the the system of the high priest who would make offerings on behalf of the people. Sin offerings, sacrifice offerings. We just passed that day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when sacrifices would be made annually to remind the people of Israel of the sin that entered into humanity, the sin that stains us all, and that these sacrifices would be made to honor God and to seek his redemption. And then Jesus comes, and he's the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, The book of Hebrews, in another place, tells us that in the order of this priesthood that Jesus is in, that there is now no longer any need for any other sacrifice. Jesus is the final sacrifice. If you're looking for another one, you're not going to find it. It's only in Jesus. His sacrifice is sufficient for everyone's sins, past, present, and future. And so that's why he says, in the day that that happens, when that final sacrifice happens, when the Messiah is here and he's revealed and that promise is fulfilled to all of humanity, in that day we will give thanks because no longer are we wrestling against God, but we have the opportunity instead to be friends with God. We have the opportunity to be joined together in a a familial relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we are followers of Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters into the family of God. 
Jesus says those who follow after him, those who live a life in accordance with the life that he lived and his principles, his ideas, his devotion to God, that those who do that, that they become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we'll give thanks. He's no longer angry. He comforts us. He's our salvation. We don't have to be afraid. We trust in him. He is our strength. He gives us our song. He has become our salvation. And then verse three is kind of where I want to land. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We're going to go to a a passage over in John 4 in just a minute, but first I want to kind of give you an example of, of what this looks like. We, if we look at Hebrews chapter 12, let's go there first. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, And here's where I want to land in this one. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's that word joy again. Now, there are, this passage, these two verses right here is so rich with meaning that that we could spend a lot of time here. But I just want to focus on that one phrase where it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now he's talking about Jesus. We have this great cloud of witnesses around us, but let us remember, let us be mindful, let us give honor to Jesus who for some joy that was set before him endured the shame, the pain, the, the burden of the cross for us. And I, as I was thinking through this and preparing through this, I had this realization that I think I've always, I've always interpreted this wrong. I have, I have always thought that the joy that was set before him was like, oh, Jesus is, is very heavenly minded. He knows, he knows that he's going to suffer all this, but at the end, he's going to go to heaven and it's going to be awesome. I mean, he's going to be restored. He's going to be resurrected. Sure, it's going to hurt. He's going to be punished. But he's got this thing on the other side. And I realized as I was thinking about this that this week, that if that were true, if that were the joy that's referred to here, honestly, that cheapens the sacrifice. Because listen, if you knew that you could do something right now that was going to cost you some pain... But later, there was going to be great relief of that pain, or it wasn't really, it wasn't for someone else, it was just for you. Like, this is going to cost me right now, but later it's not really going to cost me anything, so I'm good to go. So that's very inwardly focused. So what was the joy that Jesus saw before him? What was the joy that Jesus saw out in front of him that when he knelt in the garden and prayed so bitterly that the Bible says that he, he, he expelled blood from the pores of his body, he was in such 
anxiety and stress. What was it that he saw that allowed him to go through that? And he prays to God. He says, Father, if there's any other way to do this, let me know. Clue me in right now because I will do that. But if not, your will be done. God doesn't reveal anything else to him. It's going to be this awful, terrible slog through physical and emotional and spiritual pain that no one can really understand. And Jesus will endure all of that for us. I mean, we could go through the details, but I don't want to keep you uh, for too long today. We could go through the details of, of the, the beatings and, and pulling the hair and, and the scourging and the cross and what it means and all those things. What was it that he saw on the other side of that? That was his joy. It reminds me of um, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, the great final scene. The ship is in grave danger and someone has to go into the, into the engine room and close off some things and protect the rest of the ship, but whoever goes in there is going to die and they're struggling with the decision and before they know it, Spock goes in and locks himself inside the chamber and does the things that he needs to do to save the ship. And Kirk comes, his best friend, and he realizes what's happened, that Kirk says, Spock is inside this, this glass container of, of ship equipment inside the engine room where the, the crystals are that run the warp power, and he's going to die because he's been, he's been exposed to this terrible, terrible radiation. And Spock is over here against the wall. He's looking terrible. And his face is coming apart. And then Captain Kirk's over here. He gets up against the glass. Spock! And Spock says, Ship out of danger. Yes! Don't breathe, Admiral. It is logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. I never took the Kobayashi Maru test until now. What do you think of my solution? And then the most moving moment in all of Star Trek history. I have been and always shall be your friend. And then he dies. Spoiler, if you haven't seen 30-year-old movies, he gets resurrected. Don't tell me Spock's not a Christ figure. He absolutely is in that moment. Why did Spock do what he did? To save everybody. 
What is the joy that is set before Jesus that he sees, that he says, I will endure the shame and the burden and the pain of the cross, the the weight of the sin of all the world, forwards and backwards and up and down. Oh, can you imagine? I mean... You've borne the weight of your own sin, haven't you? Sometimes that, oh, that weight is terrible. And Jesus took yours, 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 mine. And all the world that weight, and there was a joy beyond that that was worth it to him for every moment. And friends, that joy was you. That joy was humanity. In the big picture and in the individual person. The joy that he saw beyond was that his sacrifice would indeed be the final sacrifice. And that all those who would call upon the name of Jesus could be saved. Rabbit trail. I'm going to leave it alone. And here's the cool part about that. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. Remember, Jesus saw joy on the other side of the shame and penalty of the cross. And that was us. We were worth it to him. Even as the Bible says, knowing that some will still reject, it was still worth it to him. And then from that same well of joy, we find in Isaiah chapter 12 that we when we come to realize that in that day when the Messiah has come and that has been offered to us and we come to that realization and we embrace it, we, we, we take in the salvation of Jesus Christ, in that day then we will draw water of joy from that same well of salvation. Now, we've talked about this many times. I don't want to belabor the point, but you understand the difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness is a, a, a temporary circumstance based on external factors generally. But joy is something that even in the midst of terrible pain, terrible suffering, terrible circumstances, darkness, whatever you can conjure, the worst things, even in the midst of that, there is a joy that can exist within us that really is unexplainable except for the presence of Christ. 
that peace that passes understanding. Now, does my joy get bruised? Uh, you bet. Sometimes it does. I was just thinking this week when we were going through those prayer cards, I told Jeremy this story of my friend Tom he used to stand back here and play his electric guitar like a wizard. And we had that tree was sitting right there when Tom was here. And on a Sunday morning, Tom played his guitar. We did worship. He came. He stepped right off the stage right here and, and looked at me and said, I'll see you on Tuesday. Uh, I should be back, but this is my last week on this part of my job. I got a new job that starts next week, and I'm really excited because I won't be on the helicopters anymore. And on Tuesday, band practice day, Tom didn't come to practice. We got home, and Tom's wife called and said, Tom's helicopter is missing. And Tom and three other men died that day in a helicopter out by Eureka on Telecom Hill in a terrible snowstorm. That prayer tree was sitting right over there, and later that week, I'd come in to gather the cards because we would gather them and we would put them on a little blog thing, which is kind of what we do now. It was a little more antiquated then. It was harder to do then than it is now. But we would gather them and post them so that people could log in and pray over them. And I'm pulling those cards off there and I get to one and it's Tom's handwriting. And it says, it says God, please bring my wife Sandy back to you. And I picked up that tree and I threw it across this room. I took that handful of cards and I threw them on the floor and I beat against that wall and I yelled at God. Because I could not see how that prayer was ever going to be answered by what had just happened 48 hours ago. God, how do, you, how do you honor Tom's prayer, his faithful service to you? How do you honor Tom's prayer to bring his wife back to you by letting him die in that helicopter? So that day, my joy was seriously bruised. Fast forward a few years. Sandy, his lovely wife that we've known for years, Picked up and moved to Tennessee because that was something she and Tom always dreamed about doing. So she did. She moved down, bought a house. She's at the laundromat one day, and this guy keeps kind of giving her the eye. It's been a few years since Tom's been gone. They strike up a conversation. He loves Jesus. He's a guitar player. <laughs> He's a crazy guitar player. And they get together. God starts to, to draw them to each other. And they get married. And today they got a little farm down there in Tennessee, and Sandy and Eddie, before COVID, BC, they're going to the old folks' home and singing songs about Jesus and loving people and being part of the rescue mission in their neighborhood. And I'm watching Sandy talk about the move of God in her life and the way that she's seen him show up and bring uh, renewal and restoration to a life that had just been ruined by circumstances. 
I'm just like, man. Now, did God plan it that way? If he is, he's a jerk, in my opinion, which I respect. But his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. Did he kill Tom so Sandy could come back? I don't think that's how God works. But did he take junk? Did he take ashes and trade them for beauty? He certainly did. And it reminds me that his promises are never empty. When Jesus looked at the joy set before him, and that was that my sacrifice, my carrying this weight, will provide the opportunity for you and Tom and Sandy and Eddie and everybody watching and everybody in this room, if they will believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it will provide the opportunity for them, even in the worst of times, to have a well to draw joy from. He said, I will endure that. So that they might come to me. John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories. I'm not going to tell you the story because it would take too long, and I love to tell this story, but it's the woman at the well. She's part of a, a, an ethnic community that the Jews don't hang out with, they don't really like each other, they have some severe disagreements about religious things. But here's Jesus sitting alone by a well, and a woman comes from the town at a, an odd time of day. It's not the day when normally people would come to draw water. And, and of course, he's Jesus, so he knows what's up. He knows that she's an outcast. She comes to him, and they strike up a conversation about water. The joy that was set before him for us becomes a well from which we draw joy. Our salvation is a well from which we draw joy. Our salvation is the joy that was set before him. And he says to this woman, he says, as you've come to draw water, he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And she looks at him and says, you don't even have a, you don't even have a cup. You have nothing to draw water with. What am I asking you for water? He says, no, no, no. See, I have a water. You're going to drink the water out of this well, and it'll be good. It'll be tasty. It'll be refreshing. You're going to drink that water, but later you're going to need more water. But if you drink the water that I have for you, he says, that will satisfy a thirst that you maybe don't even realize you have, but once you drink it, from the well of that salvation, from that well of joy, you will never be thirsty again. And she says, give me that water. And then we see in the story, I think this is so interesting. I mean, that, that's, that's basically what's recorded there. There's no sinner's prayer. There's no magic words that Jesus says she has to say. Um, he doesn't give her a, a rule book. You know, he doesn't pull out a little, you know, four spiritual laws and say, well, here's, here's the things that you have to do. He just tells her, he says, listen, I have water. And he says a few more things about the Messiah. And she says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And he says, well, I'm the guy. 
And she believes that. And then it says from thereafter that many others in the, the village where she was an outcast came to believe in Jesus because of her testimony. And so it brings me to the final cap on this, which is what then do I have to do? I, I understand that about what joy Jesus saw before him. That was us. That was me. He wants me to be in relationship with him, and it was so important to him that he was willing to endure the shame of the cross, the weight of the cross, the pain of the cross. Isaiah tells me that there is a a well then, because of that salvation, there is a well from which I can draw waters of joy into my life. How do I do that? And in the Christian faith, we say there are some essentials, right? That we, we come to understand that the reason we don't have that joy is because we live, think, and move in sinful ways, and that, that hurts the heart of God. And it creates a division between us, a division that Jesus came to overcome. That's why he endured that shame and that suffering, was to overcome that division. But we come, we come to recognize that I'm separated from God somehow in some way, and I, I want that to be different. And so the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, believe in our hearts that Jesus is God, we can be saved. And so that's the step I ask you to take this morning. If you're watching online, you're here in this house, and you're hearing this, maybe it's landing for the first time, That's the step I want you to take. I want you to pray in your own heart. I don't need to give you the words. I don't need to give you a mantra or a magic saying or a phrase to check off some boxes. This is all God calls us to do is to come to Jesus and believe he is who he said he is. And God will begin to do the rest of the work in you. So that's what I ask of you. If you're a believer already, that you reaffirm your faith, even in difficult times, I know. That you be reminded that when it's difficult to find your joy, that there is a well from which you can draw. And it may not change our earthly circumstances sometimes to a great degree, but it is the well of our salvation which is for this life and for all of eternity. And I just encourage you to dip down into that well of your salvation and be reminded of what Christ has given you and drink that joy, even in difficult times. Or, if you've never been a follower of Jesus, that you you make that step today. In, in, in here. It's between you and God. Today I want to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, and I want him to save me. I want him to give me that salvation. You do that in your heart, 
and you say it with your mouth. So if that's you this morning, you got to tell somebody. You come tell me. Send me an email, Tracy at c3ak.com. You can say it in the chat line. We'll jump up and down with you. Give me a call. You can leave a message here at the church. If you got my cell phone, you can call me there. Send me a text message. Send me an email. Today, I believe in Jesus, and I want to be saved. And then let's see the work that God can begin to do. We're going to close this morning with a video. We've showed this once before, but uh, it's so good, and it goes with, I think, this theme uh, really great, and it's got Dolly Parton in it, so it can't be bad. Um, those of us joining us online, I'm 100% sure that YouTube is going to flag us for this video. So uh, if it does, we will, we will fade out the online broadcast, but the link is in the, uh, the description, and you can go watch it for yourself on uh, your computer or phone. I uh, want to uh, thank you uh, for your generosity of late to some of our efforts. Uh, Deb gave me some updated numbers this morning. Uh, our missions giving in September was to Laverne Griffin Camp, where Tyler and Carrie are serving, and uh, Christ Community Church gave almost $3,400 in September to that alone. That's incredible, folks. Amen. Um, to the Bats family who are getting ready to go to uh, Togo, Africa, uh, you folks gave $600, and we're going to continue to work with them on support going in the future, but that's tremendous. And already this month, as you heard my friend Wilford, uh, Wilbert Meekins uh, from New Hope uh, speak this morning, Valerius Sherrard State Missions Offering, which also goes to help Liver and Griffin Camp. Um, you've already given uh, a little over $200 this month. So thank you for your generosity. Continue to, to give in ways where we can take funds to help others outside of this place, and then uh, thank you so much for those who are being faithful with their giving here. And uh, just want to uh, say that I love you. When the video is finished, we'll be dismissed this morning, and I uh, pray that you'll take this time to, to just meditate on these words, and that the Lord will bring them back to your remembrance. Let me pray for us, and then we'll run the video. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And Father... May we be intimately mindful of the joy that is available to us in the well of the salvation that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time I try